Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet, the weekly podcast of Tablet Magazine. It's me, Sarah Ivry, your host. Today, one woman's exploration of her ties to the Inquisition. Dorian Carvajal has spent the past 25 years as a journalist. She's a Paris-based reporter for The New York Times and the International Herald Tribune. But perhaps the most difficult investigation she's ever undertaken is into her own family's past. Carvajal was raised Catholic and had no occasion to question her religious heritage. But clues and encounters as an adult led her to consider the possibility that her ancestors were conversos, that is, Spanish Jews who converted to Christianity rather than face death or expulsion during the Inquisition. In a new memoir, The Forgetting River, Carvajal describes her search for definitive answers to questions about her identity. That search took her to Costa Rica, to university archives, to a centuries-old town in Andalusia, and into her own memories and keepsakes. Today, we're speaking with Doreen from the Paris offices of the New York Times. Doreen Carvajal, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thanks so much. Uh, It's a pleasure to speak with you. Now, as I understand it, you grew up in Northern California as a practicing Catholic. Is that right? Yes, uh, we were a devout Catholic family, fish on Friday, uh, six children in our family. We went to Catholic school, patent leather shoes. Um, I wanted to be a nun, everything. Wow. But you say in the book that throughout your growing up, you felt like something of an outsider. I, I always felt like an outsider. I felt like I didn't belong in high school. I felt like I um, didn't belong where I lived. I was always searching for another place. I moved around frequently, uh, especially with journalist jobs, Philadelphia, Florida, Los Angeles. Then finally, I left um, after September 11th to live in Europe and settled in France, um, which is the home country of my husband, who's French. And it was during that period after September 11th, I think that I was just more reflective. And we ended up uh, on the southern frontier of Spain um, in Jerez de la Frontera and Arcos de la Frontera. And um, I felt something that's, this sounds overly dramatic, but sort of a call of the blood that I, I felt like I belonged there. I felt a sense of home and place. And that's when I started asking questions about uh, our family. Well, what kinds of clues uh, first made you think that you might have uh, Sephardic Jewish ancestry? Well, the most obvious clue was my name, uh, Carvajal, or Carvajal, as we pronounce it in the United States. It's an old Sephardic Jewish name uh, that in some spelling versions means lost place, rejected. But even though it was as obvious as my name, um, and people would come up and question me about my byline. Uh, One time I got a call from a freelance writer who was working on a book about the Carvajals uh, from Mexico um, who were executed and burned at the stake in the 16th century. Um, And they were accused of being heretics. They were converso. Uh, I did a story in Philadelphia when I was working for the Philadelphia Inquirer where uh, a rabbi from a temple told me, you know, you have a a name from the Iberian Peninsula. It's a Sephardic Jewish name. And I was totally uncurious about our family origins. I, I did not apply the same standards of a reporter to my own family. But your own family, did they ever make any suggestion that you might have this lineage? Uh, not at all, but um, I didn't, again, I didn't ask a lot of questions. 
and the clues were around. And I even, my family, uh, my father is from uh, Costa Rica. They lived there for generations after leaving Spain. Um, I studied Spanish there. I live with relatives there. But I, I just did not ask about our family. And as a result, it was a critical loss because there were people I could have questioned um, who had died. One, for example, was my uh, great aunt Luce, which literally means the light. And um, she was the keeper of the, the family secrets. She died in um, San Jose, Costa Rica in 1998. And typically for Converso, uh, the descendants of Converso Jews, who are called the Force Ones, Anusim, uh, or they're called Moranos, which is a derogatory term for pigs. I prefer the term silent Jews. And at any rate, typically for the Anusim, it was women who guarded the secrets. They were more protected. And she was the one who knew about our family. And later, when I started piecing things together, I found out that she was the one who had the information. Now, you said you and your husband and your daughter, who at the time I think was rather young, six years old, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, you moved from France to a town in Andalusia called Arcos de la Frontera. What kind of place is it and what were you looking for? Well, I wanted to plunge myself back in time. I couldn't understand why my family had hid their identity for generations, especially going late into the 20th century. Why would anyone be afraid um, to talk about having a Jewish identity or a Jewish past? And so I wanted to live in a place that was steep with the history of the Inquisition. This is a white pueblo on a sandstone ridge where there were Inquisition trials, where neighbors turned on neighbors. There were tiles um, on some of the buildings that marked where um, some of the familiares, people who work with the Inquisition, lived. Um, There were uh, paintings in some of the churches, like a history of the Inquisition, where um, some of the symbols were later erased, repainted, um, and with new messages added. Um, but you had to, to, to look at these symbols all within context of the time. But people were communicating and still were communicating. So I wanted to, to um, capture these kinds of symbols and see if I could understand the, the fear that drove my own family to hide their identity. Well, when you were there in Spain, what kind of responses did you get when you raised questions about uh, Jewish history or Converso history in the region? Well, there, there's really an amnesia in, in, in the town, in Arcos de la Frontera and other towns. And part of that, I think, is a survival mechanism because, let's face it, they went through the Civil War, uh, Spain Civil War. There are at least six... Um, burials, secret burial places of people killed or executed during the Civil War. Um, People don't like to talk about anything that brings up political debates Mm -hmm. going back to the the Civil War, but they also don't like to talk about the the Inquisition. So, for example, when I uh, went to see the bell ringers who have lived in one of the churches going back 500 years, the same family, generation after generation. And they uh, know how to ring the bells with a variety of complicated forms that send messages to people in the town from danger, fire, uh, a woman is in labor, uh, the second child of a family has died. Very complicated forms. And there was one form 
um, for the march of Inquisition prisoners. And so um, I went to interview um, one of the bell ringers, to, and I started asking about that. And, and she just basically said, we, we don't talk about that here. It, it, it's just something that's closed. Um, another example is... Um, there's a, an ancient synagogue there in a Jewish quarter, lovely, beautiful. It's, it's, um, the, the quarter is down this steep little winding hill, and it's gray and silvery, and you, know, you feel kind of the mystical nature of that place right away. There's no sign, um, even marking the name of the street, there's no sign saying it was an old uh, Jewish quarter. And in the synagogue, if you go um, on a tour with some of the tour guides and you ask them, um, was this uh, a synagogue? And uh, in one case, the, the tour guide said to me, well, that hasn't been proven. Mm-hmm. But yet you look up in the arches of the synagogue and there are stars in the arches of the synagogue. And they're painted in this pale green, uh, which was the color of the Inquisition. So there were all these messages all around the town that was sort of fighting (laughs) against what people were telling me. You know, I've read a lot of fictional and non-fictional accounts of the persecution of Jews and Muslims during the Inquisition. But I have to tell you, I was not aware uh, until your book of how conversos uh, continued to be ostracized for generations after the Inquisition. Can you tell us a little bit uh, what you learned about that from people who grew up Converso or Chueta or Murano, I guess, as they're also called? I, th- I think one of the most interesting cases is on the island of uh, Palma de Mallorca, um, where there are um, families dating back um, to the execution of their own ancestors, who were arrested and tried for secretly practicing their their Jewish faith. And so what happened, in this case, they're called shuetas, which some people interpret the word to mean bacon or pork, bacon eaters, because um, to demonstrate loyalty to Christianity, conversos would often eat pork or put a cross on their um, house outside um, to, sh- to show their, their zeal. And in this case, there were roughly 15 families, many of them related to those who were executed. And um, their names were featured on, they're called San Benito robes. These are the robes that um, those accused of being heretics had to wear. And there was a tradition in Spain of hanging those robes in churches with the name of the person who was the accused heretic. And they would hang there for years, so it ended up affecting the lives of new generations. So in the case of the Shuetas and Palmas, since it was a small island, some of them were shunned um, in the sense that people wouldn't marry them. And so they married among each other, and they were mostly 15 families. So... This carried on through the 20th century, although things started to change as Palma became a tourist resort and cruise liners came, things opened up. Um, But still, people held on to this fear, this sense of inferiority. Um, Last year I was there because the Spanish regional government had decided to uh, have a ceremony to express their regret for what happened during the executions in in that area. And that was a moment sort of 
open things up for Shwetas to talk openly about who they were. So I ended up interviewing this wonderful man, um, a violinist um, close to 80, um, and I, I talked to him about, you know, why he waited till he was like 79 to convert, and he went through circumcision also, wow. and he kept it secret from his family. Um, I said, well, well, why? why? Why are you even afraid to tell them? He said, I, I just was afraid they would try to talk me out of it. I was afraid it, it would hurt them. I was afraid they would be ashamed. I said, well, I, I don't understand. He said, I know it's really hard to explain. It's a hard, only another Shweta would understand what I'm talking about, but I always had feelings of inferiority. So he made, he made peace with himself and... Um, Sadly, he ended up dying maybe about six months later. Hmm. You learned a lot about Converso culture in Arcos de la Frontera, but it didn't bring you any closer to your own family history. You also took more concrete steps than researching your family tree and seeing if it connects with other Carvajals. You visited archives. You even asked your father to have his DNA tested. Did you get any definitive proof uh, of what you were looking for? It's a little bit like putting together pieces of the puzzle. Um, I felt like there was no one eureka clue. And this is a a typical universal journey for anyone who's trying to research their family. Usually the answer is not in some treasure chest in in the attic. You have to piece things together. So for me, the convincing evidence... Uh, were particular patterns. Um, In Costa Rica, for instance, when I was um, uh, exploring and researching my family, I found there was a a history of um, fourth cousins marrying fourth cousins, and they had to get special dispensations from the Catholic Church to do that. And that's, among um, the Anusim, that's a a sign of survival, uh, almost a tribal ritual, people marrying trusted people so they could guard their secrets Um, Another clue for me was family names. Um, In Costa Rica, there's a a list of the prominent Converso families. Um, When I look at my family tree, about 10 of them were on that list. So it was, you know, families intermarrying. Also, uh, one of the keys was... um, when I started interviewing family members in Costa Rica to get more information, I found that I, if I asked directly, like, were we Sephardic Jews, I got very little information. So what I, I started asking about was, um, you know, burial patterns, prayers, rituals. It's more telling. And so I found out that when my great-aunt Luce, the one who was the keeper of the secrets, died, Um, that they found a menorah in her cupboard in her little bedroom. Um, Another clue, um, well, once I learned that, that that, that prompted me to start going through all my papers in my house from Costa Rica. Um, I've traveled a lot, but I've kept things together. And I found this um, funeral card from uh, when uh, Aunt Luce died, and um, on one side was a crucifix and some lilies, but on the other side was a Sabbath day prayer. Mm. Um, so it was the, all those things coming together for me. I, you have to look at a kaleidoscope and shift it to put it together in a pattern. And, and that's what convinced me. So how do you see yourself now in terms of your faith and identity? 
Well, it was difficult at first because I still felt ties to the Catholic Church as, a, as more of a secular Catholic. Um, you know, I grew up with the nuns. They taught me how to read. I felt gratitude for that. But over time, I've started to feel like the, the church has left me and uh, a variety of things ended it for me. And I started shifting in a new direction. And now I feel... Like when you shift a religious identity, it's a, it's a little like um, learning a new language. At first you feel awkward, you mispronounce the words, you don't understand things that people are talking about. And, and so that's another journey, and I'm starting the process, and I have a, a dear friend who's kind of helping tutor me with uh, Judaism 101. Doreen Carvajal, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much, it was a pleasure. Dorian Carvajal is a New York Times and International Herald Tribune reporter. She's based in Paris. Her new book is called The Forgetting River, A Modern Tale of Survival, Identity, and the Inquisition. It's due out August 16th from Riverhead. Now, we've got an important question for you. Do you subscribe to Vox Tablet? If the answer is no, I have to tell you you're missing out on a whole lot. It's the best way to make sure you get every episode of our podcast. Here's what you do. Subscribe through iTunes, through Stitcher, or through any podcast browser that you choose. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. We thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.